glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Romans chapter 5, I've read these verses many times. Here's the way I am. I'm a simple kind of a person. When something gets my attention, uh, it's going to come out in the preaching 5 or 10 or 20 times. And I think God designs it that way. Uh, we learn, I, didn't, I don't do it this way on purpose, it's just when something's got my attention, I can't help but see it and see it applied in just about every facet of our lives. But uh, Romans 5, 8, 9, and 10, many times recently I've read this because the fact of the matter is I, I'm so grateful for the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. In dying and shedding His blood, He took the judgment that I deserve. And that gives me hope. And, and understanding that I have forgiveness of my sins. But the fact that he's living gives me hope for godliness and victory until he comes to get me. I think a lot of people who are truly saved have resigned to spiritual defeat because they've not laid hold of this truth. How many remember the day you got saved? You don't have to lift your hand, but you remember the day that you became persuaded in your heart that what the Bible says about your sinful state and what the Bible says about the person of Jesus Christ was true and so true that you had to do something about it. And so you called on Christ to save you. Wasn't that hard? It actually was not. Once you realized it was about faith, it was not hard for God to save you. But boy, the Christian life is hard. You know why the Christian life is hard for us? I believe this. Because we try to accomplish the Christian life the same way we used to try to accomplish our salvation. In our own power and might and strength. Why do people want to save themselves instead of letting Jesus Christ do it for them? It's flesh. Once we've been saved, why do we want to live a successful Christian life with as little help from him as possible? So I don't, Pastor. Yeah, I think if you're in a body of flesh, you do. Because that's our nature. And it is flesh. We want credit. We want glory. What I want to say is God gets credit for my salvation, but I get credit for the kind of Christian I am. And if that's true, then what's going to happen in the judgment seat is what we talk about in Sunday school. Some things are going to burn. I'll be saved, but my life will burn. And I'm just, I'll be honest with you. I'm trying to be a little transparent. I would love to say I've never had that mentality. What God's had to do is show me I do have it. It's wrong. I know that only Christ can save my soul and, and, and secure God's forgiveness for me. But maybe if I try real hard, I can be a superior servant for him. I believe that's the mentality Peter had the night he denied the Lord. Is that I need Jesus to be the king, but I'll show him that I'm the best servant he's got. When in fact, without him, we can do nothing. And friend, that's a fact this morning. Without him, I can't remove my sin debt. Without him, I cannot remove the guilt on my conscience. The only reason this morning I don't feel guilty and worthy and deserving of hell is because my sin debt's been removed by the word of God, by the blood of Christ. My guilt has been removed by him, not by me. And this morning, as we read Romans chapter 5, we read of the twofold aspect of our salvation. One is through his death, and the other is because of his life. It's the same salvation, but... Death without his life is no good. His life without his death does us no good. We must have it all. Romans chapter 5 verse 8, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ, what? Died for us. That speaks of his death, his taking our judgment and our penalty. Verse 9, Much more than being now justified by his blood, 
We shall be saved from wrath through him. Now, a lot of times that's, that is where the comprehension of our salvation stops. I don't have to fear hell because Jesus died for me. And that's true. But look at verse 10. For if, comma, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, that's present tense, isn't it? Being reconciled, we shall be saved by his what? Life. Meaning the fact that he raised from the dead is what guarantees what he did through his death. When we call on Christ to save us, we're not calling on some hope so character in outer space. We're calling on the living Son of God who literally hears our cry. It doesn't end then. That's the beginning. Many people would testify, you know what? Something is desperately missing inside of me. You say, all unsaved people, they're not saved. True, they say something's missing. There's many a Christian today who knows they're saved, but they would still say something's missing. And it's this reliance on him that he has to lead us and teach us to live in. And so this morning, uh, with this thought in mind, that he not only died, but he lives, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory, in the church, by Christ Jesus, throughout all ages, world without end. I, I hope this morning to bring some thoughts to your mind. We'll give you a couple of introductory points, and then our final point of the message is really where I want our, our meditation to be as we will conclude with it, and that is what he is able to do because he lives. But uh, let me just give you a, a couple of things, as I said, leading into that. Speaking of his death and the fact that he's living, I want us to understand that today the fact that Christ is living is what makes the gospel the gospel. A dead man is not good news. A living Son of God. Now, that's good news today. It's, by the way, I believe what gives us boldness in witnessing and speaking to people about their soul. We are not trying to sell them on a bill of goods. We are trying to lead them to a living person. Amen? And he's able to do what he promises to do. And our lives, if you're saved this morning, our lives should be a demonstration of what he is able to do. How many times, I'll just say this, I said it was a long introduction, are our lives a demonstration of what we are able to do? do. And that's why we often get in so much trouble. But may today, our lives, not as saved people, if you're not saved this morning, your life can be a demonstration of what he's able to do and that he'll save your soul today, deliver you from the wrath of God, cancel your sin debt and give you pardon. He's able to do that and we'll say about that in a few moments. But if you're saved, as many of you here this morning are, you know you've been born again, our lives are to be a testimony not of what we are able to do for him but what he is able to do in and through us. And so then, let's begin this morning by looking. I said it's three simple points regarding the Lord Jesus Christ and the fact that he's living. First of all, beginning with his compassion. We have to go back there because the fact he's living means nothing if he didn't die. If I said, boy, I'm excited this morning. Adeline's alive. You'd say, what happened? She was born. Ooh, great. She's alive. But now, if she died last week, and then I came and said, she's alive again, would that be big news? That's big news. Saying Jesus is alive isn't so big news, except we know he died. So if we're going to consider his ability because he's alive, we must go back and take just a moment and consider the fact that first he died, and that refers to his compassion. We said of it, or spoke of it already in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners... 
Christ died for us. The death of Jesus Christ was a token of the love of God. Look, if you would, at 1 John chapter 3. We know uh, John 3, 16, 1 John 3, 16 is a companion text. We'll, get, we'll find our way to Romans chapter 8. Just bear with me. We'll get there in a little bit. Uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says this, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. Now, you want a verse that demonstrates the deity of Jesus Christ. Who laid down his life for us in 1 John 3, 16? Let's read it again. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. What he's saying is his death is a, is a demonstration, as it says in Romans 5, of the love of God. The fact that we are sinful. I, I thought this the other day. This last year, I've had to battle tremendously becoming cynical. I don't know if any of you are the same. Meaning... Not trusting anyone, that's not true of it. It's not altogether true. There's people who've earned trust. But how I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Where you just get sour about humanity as a whole. Yeah, you can do that in a hurry. Especially if you listen to the news and then listen to some more news and listen to some more news. The longer I live, the more I understand how deep and how great the love of God is. That God would care about us and do anything to save us is a miracle in and of itself. Because the more you know about humanity, the more you ought to know we are rotten and corrupt to the very core. I didn't say they, I said we. The great apostle Paul said, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Now, if it was true of Paul, it's true of all of us. And when we begin to see how deep and how rotten that, the, how, how, how deep the rottenness of mankind is, it ought to amaze us that God would do anything to save us. Why would He? Why would He not just say, be done with you, I'll start over? He could have. But He wants us to know Him. And the depth of God's love is seen in who He died for. But God commended His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God manifested His love for us when we were thumbing our nose at Him. He sent His Son, His only begotten Son, and sent many infallible proofs that Jesus was His Son, and we still crucified Him. How rotten is mankind. Jew and Gentile alike. His own people delivered Him up to the Roman council, and the Roman council, being afraid of losing His political status, said, I wash my hands, crucify Him. He's not guilty, kill Him anyway. He said, well, I wouldn't have done that. I've been there. Where were his disciples in all of that? Where most of us would be, hiding someplace. Our Lord and Savior, God in the flesh, came into this world at its darkest hour. The Bible says the world was made by him and the world knew him not. The creator of mankind came and walked among us and we are so blind and so spiritually rotten that we didn't even know God was among us. Isn't that amazing? Why would then God send His very best for us? It is to magnify how good He truly is. We have lost... You know why we have a need for revival of repentance in our country? Because we've lost a sense of God's goodness. We are so spoiled. And I say we, I speak generally, but it's true. We're so spoiled that if anything doesn't go the way we want, we think we're being mistreated. And the fact is this morning, the fact that you and I either don't live in dread of the fires of hell or are not currently there, is nothing short of the mercy of God if you and I could get a look at what we really are. I said in Sunday school, I'm made aware again the nature of my flesh in being saved 
For many years, God saved me as a little boy, and my flesh is still as bad as it's ever been. And if it weren't for the presence of the Savior in my life, I'd be rotten, like just rotten as I could be. There's nothing good outside of Him. And the fact this morning is, that the fact that Jesus raised you, as I said, you must go back to the fact that He died, and the fact that He died speaks to us of His great compassion. Look at Revelation chapter 1. In describing the fact that the Lord is alive forevermore, we're reminded that first He died for our sins. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. John says in verse 17, speaking of when he saw the Lord Jesus, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. I read that verse for this reason. He doesn't say, I am he that liveth. He said, I want to remind you, I am he that liveth and was dead. I faced death, and the Bible tells us in Hebrews, I believe it's chapter uh, chapter 2, that he tasted death for every man. That tells us of his great compassion. In our sinful state, he suffered in our place. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. It's very interesting that Scripture makes a point to say that he was dead. Why would that be needful to stay over and over we are aware of the theory of swooning. They say, well, they laid him in the tomb and he was in a, uh, an unconscious state for three days. He didn't really die. That's why the Scripture, the Spirit of God in the Scripture goes to such great lengths to say they pierced his side and forthwith came water and blood. When that happens, you're dead. He died. He tasted death. For it, meaning, it's this, this is why it's important. The wages of sin is Jesus came and experienced birth. That's part of the human experience, is it not? He experienced suffering. He experienced hunger. He experienced weakness. He experienced betrayal. He experienced everything in the human experience except for guilt for sin of his own. But even guilt for sin, he experienced because he took ours. He became sin for us. And the wages for our sin is death, and he paid the wage. That's why I speak of his compassion. He died for us. Number two. In that he died, he did not stay dead. It's not, a, it's not a religious fable. One of the things that stirs my ire is when I hear of Bible Christianity spoken of as one of the religions on the shelf. Now, I understand why unregenerate people would say that, but may you and I never stoop to that level. Don't put Christianity, Bible Christianity, next to Islam or next to some other cultic religion. Bible Christianity is truth. That's the difference. So how do we know it's true? God's proved it. Hey, every skeptic he's answered and silenced that the Bible stands against unbelievable opposition. It's the Word of God. And so then today, the truth this morning, it's not a fairy or a fable tale or a fable or fairy tale or something to make people feel better that Christ lived, uh, died and lives. It is a fact he lives today. Christian need to get back a hold of that fact that today we're not alone. He said when he left this world, and lo, I am with you always even under the end of the world. This morning, I understand our world is rotten. I understand our world is corrupt. It does not surprise me after the year we had last year that I come out of 2020 with this focus. I'm just glad that I have the Lord as my Savior. And I'm glad He wasn't my Savior only, but that He is, that He is with me. One of the most comforting verses in the Bible, Psalm 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I'm powerful. No, I'm a sheep. I will fear no, de- no evil, for thou art with me. 
A dead Savior, friend, cannot be with you. So his compassion is seen in his death, but his conquest is seen in his resurrection. One of my favorite passages of Scripture in the Bible is Acts chapter 2. Go there if you would. Acts chapter 2. When Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost, this is the emphasis of his message, that Christ was crucified with wicked hands, but he conquered death. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Uh, The Bible says in verse 21, uh, Peter quoting from the Old Testament text, and of course it's repeated again in Romans 10, 13, and it shall come to pass, Acts 2, 21, that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, we're in verse 22 of Acts 2, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him, in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death. Notice this statement. Because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Do you realize it was impossible for Jesus Christ to stay in the grave more than three days and three nights? impossible. Do you know why? Because the scripture foretold through the typology of Jonah and through the direct passages of its Psalm 2 and Psalm 15, some of these key Psalm 16 texts on the resurrection had foretold that after three days and three nights, our Lord and Savior himself had said, on the third day I'll come forth. That means because he cannot lie, it was impossible for him to stay dead past Sunday morning. Impossible. Why? Because he is more powerful than the most powerful thing among you and I. You know what we live in fear of all our lives? That's what Hebrews says. The one battle we know we will not ultimately win. I don't know what you'll eat for dinner. I don't know where you'll live next year. I don't know what kind of car you'll drive two years from now. But I know one thing about every person I'm looking at this morning. And you know the same thing about me. We're going to die. Well, that's an encouraging message on Easter Sunday morning. Friend, it's a fact. We have a hard time with facts in this world, don't we? We think if we don't like facts, we can change them. You can try to change that one all you want. The world's been trying for thousands of years to figure out how to beat death, and we haven't figured it out yet. A few thousand years in, and all the medical technology and the average lifespan is still about 80 years if you've lived a long life. All the work we've done in the medical field and the care we have and all of this, you know what, man, still, he dies. It works. Therefore, we we know that it's inevitable. Job says in that war, speaking of death, there is no discharge. You're not getting out of that one. You're going to have to face it. You have to fight that battle. And death is going to win. How many have seen humans, you've experienced someone fighting for their life at the end? Very sorrowful thing to see. The will of humans to live is unbelievably powerful. But it's not powerful enough. Death wins, but not on Christ. He died, he succumbed to it, and then three days later, he overcame it. How many of you could say, you know what, I'm going to die, and three days later, I promise you, I'll come back out alive. You know why we don't say that? We don't have the power to perform it. But he said it, and he did it. You know what I love today? I love getting a skeptic and saying something like this. You would think that after a couple thousand years, the world could have found the proof that Jesus was a fraud and that he didn't raise from the dead. Wouldn't you think a couple thousand years is enough? So you sound sarcastic. I'm being sarcastic right now because there are those who scoff at the gospel and all you have to say is, you know what? The difference with our Savior is he's living. 
And you can hear, well, the same old theories that have been tried long ago and disproven. You know, the Word of God is right. God went to great detail to, to preserve for us in the text of Scripture what took place on that early first day of the week. And it occurred so that today He conquered death. And that's going to lead us to our final point in just a few moments. But the fact is, death could not hold Him. 1 Corinthians 15 says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But death is swallowed up in victory. How is that possible? Because Jesus conquered death. I read recently, John 11, yesterday. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Now, I'll be honest with you. You've seen a lot of people that have died. And you think, uh, Jesus said that to a woman whose brother was in the grave as a believer. Obviously, he didn't mean your body won't quit working someday and your soul depart. What he meant is you're not truly dead. One day this body's going to stop, but I will not die because I have eternal life through the one who conquered death. And so then his power leads to our persuasion. I can trust him to save me from death because he's the... Somebody says this, well, you know, death is a little scary because you don't get to practice it. And some say, well, I have, I've died this many times. Not, not in the truest sense. You know, I'll be honest with you. Death does hold a level of, yeah, I don't like thinking about it. I've never done it before. I get used to things by practicing. You know what I'm talking about? Here's the wonderful thing. When it comes time to die, I've never done it, and it'll be a dark time. But I have somebody who has who can walk me through it. You with me? The Christian can face death not with excitement. We ought to want to live. But we can face death with certainty because the one who faced it and overcame it says, I'll walk you right on through it. For the Christian, death is but a shadow, meaning it resembles something horrendous, but it's just a shadow. You'll pass through it and come out on the side. Someone has said, you know what it takes to have a shadow? It takes light. Light creates shadows, does it not? And when you and I pass through death, it is a valley of the shadow of death, and we're not led to it. We're led through it because he conquered it already. Thirdly, thirdly, his compassion is seen in his death, his conquest is seen in his resurrection. Because he died and because he lives, we can understand his capability. His capability. A number of times in Scripture, and I've preached an entire message on these phrases in the Bible. Uh, They're right there for you to read and see. God tells us what Christ is able to do what he's able to do. Go to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Because he died and because he lives, right now he hears what I'm saying. I believe with all my heart, my Lord and Savior hears the words I'm preaching to you. I believe he knows right now how you're responding to what you hear. Proverbs chapter 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. He, he, there's not a thing he doesn't see. His eyes in Revelation are as a flame of fire. They burn through all the dross, see what truly is. So this morning, because he's living, it makes the message we preach have substance to it. I mean, i I get honest with you. I've fallen for things that I thought were true only to be disappointed because somebody sold me a bill of goods. I'm going to tell you something. The longer, this is what makes me excited this morning, the longer I'm a Christian, the more confidence I have in my Savior, not less. It's not like the longer I experience it, every time I trust Him, He disappoints. No, the more I'm finding He's real, He lives, and He helps those who trust Him. 
We have a gospel today that's gospel because He lives to do what He promised to do. Hebrews 7, chapter, uh, chapter 7, verse 24, speaking of Jesus. But this man, because he continueth ever, that can't be said about any of us. I may continue to 41 or 42 or 84, but I won't continue forever. Someone say, oh, I look forward to coming back to this church in 75 years and hearing you preach. I said, good luck. That ain't happening. You better not count on me as a pastor that long. I'm going to kick the bucket one of these days. But he continues ever. You know what I love? I can read books written 300 years ago, and they speak of how Christ was sufficient for them. I can read Hudson Taylor, who's been in heaven for a long time, and he speaks of what Jesus did for him 150 years ago, 100 years ago. And I can read of that, and today he does the same thing because he continueth how long? Ever. The United States is going to fall one day, friends. Not Christ, and not his kingdom. Hebrews chapter 7, uh, verse 24, But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Here are the words, Wherefore he is able, because he continues ever, and his priesthood will never change. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. I believe it works based on what the Bible says. It works exactly this way. When a sinner under the conviction of their sinful guilt says, you know what, God is displeased with me and rightfully so. I am condemned and on my way to a devil's hell and rightfully so. I deserve it because of my transgressions against God. But I realize that Jesus already suffered for my transgressions. And I believe that. It's true. And I so much believe it's true that I know He raised from the dead after dying for my sins. He lives right now to go to God on my behalf and ask for my forgiveness. Can you imagine? We don't have to imagine. It's a reality. I believe this when the sinner says, Lord Jesus, save me a sinner. I believe literally the Lord Jesus Christ goes to God the Father and says, I'm asking for the pardon of Nevin Joshua Neal right now. You tell me when will God the Father not grant that to God the Son? I, people say, I'm, I'm saved because I ask God forgiveness all the time. You have no right to ask His forgiveness. You've not paid your debt yet. But Jesus has right to ask forgiveness for you. He ever liveth to do what? Make intercession. Intercession is a go-between, one between the other. We have God has animosity toward us, and therefore we have animosity toward God. Why? Because of transgressions. But when we repent, agree with God by faith, and come to Christ, the Bible says because He's living, you know what He can do? Save to the uttermost. I am, sometimes I get emotionally stirred, but sometimes I find lately it's something deeper than an emotion. I'm stirred and encouraged. I I meet and get to work with men who the society and the culture has said, write them off. And a lot of them will see to it. They'll get written off because they refuse the gospel. There are men we see, and be honest with you, from a human perspective, they are hopeless cases. They have been in habits of sin for decades, and they're only a few decades old. With some men, it's the same recurring pattern. I'm going to tell you something. Because Christ lives, he is able to save that individual to the uttermost. You say, how do you know? Number one, the Bible records it. Number two, I've seen it. You know what uttermost means? It means to the greatest uh, the uttermost we can, uh, to the greatest or most extensive degree. Fully. Some believe salvation is like this. You put your trust in Jesus, he'll get you started. No, no, he, he is the author and 
the finisher. He'll start and he'll finish and he is able to save the soul to the uttermost. The person that puts their trust in Jesus Christ will not be disappointed or as the Bible says, confounded or ashamed. You'll never be disappointed or embarrassed that you believe what the Bible said about the living Son of God. So he's able, number one, because he's living, he's able to save our souls to the uttermost. Number two, because he's living, he's able to secure our salvation. Second Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy chapter 1. Verse 12, he's not only able to save us, but the Bible says save to the uttermost, which means he's able to secure our salvation. Some say, do you believe in once saved, always saved? I believe in what's called the security of the believer because of what the Bible says. He is able to save to the uttermost those that come unto God by him. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. Why is he not ashamed? For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded, and here's the words, that he is able. What's he able to do? To keep, that means to maintain, to preserve, to hold, to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. My pardon, my salvation, who have I entrusted with that? If it's Christ, I can be sure he'll do what I trusted him to do. If someone says, well, I'm working at it, you can't trust yourself. Let me ask you this. How many of you purpose this? Tomorrow morning, just for my better, let's say you didn't do it for spiritual reasons. They say, you know, I want to I start my day earlier. I want to get up and do a little exercise. And starting tomorrow, I'm going to start a new habit. Instead of rising at this time, I'll rise 30 minutes earlier. And man, on that day, you did it from that day forward. Or how many of you said, tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up this much earlier. And tomorrow morning, you woke up 15 minutes later. And then you did it for three days, and then you didn't for three. Look, look, just study people's New Year's resolutions. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, I'm going to transform. Look, if you and I can't even change our habit of life, what makes us think we can wash ourselves from our sins? We are utterly incapable of either saving or keeping ourselves saved. Utterly incapable. May I say this without apology. Any person that says I'm capable is filled with pride and will perish. We are not capable. Again, our Lord said in John 15, verse 5, Without me ye can do nothing. Eh, And that's the truth of it. But by him we are kept and secured until the day of redemption. John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. Not temporary life, not something that starts and ends, starts and ends, starts and ends. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall... Never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Now, I'll try to demonstrate this to you, the way a man demonstrates to me. I don't have a quarter in my pocket. I was talking to a man about this one day, and he said, no, that's not the way it works. And he hands me a quarter. He said, here, this is yours, I said, to keep. He said, no, it's yours to lose. Trying to demonstrate that God gives us salvation. It's not ours to keep, but it is ours to lose. We could let go of it. I said, there's only one problem. That's a backwards analogy. My salvation is not in my hand. It's in his. He doesn't put salvation in my hands. I put my salvation in his hands, and he makes sure it gets done. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that what? He is able. I'm going to news for you. If you are at any level still trusting oneself, you've got to have doubt or you've got to be deceitful. Yes? He's able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And so then this morning, 
Christ is able to save our souls. Christ is able to secure our souls. I think this is very interesting, the analogy Jesus makes in John chapter 10. My what? Hear my voice and I know them and they follow me? Sheep. You know what? To be saved, you've got to be a sheep. Completely dependent on the shepherd for your life and survival. That's salvation. It's not dependence on self. That's pride. It's dependence on him. That's faith. And so then, by the way, that's where assurance is at. If you say, I'm saved because I'm... When is enough? When are you doing enough for God? When is enough? When, when is, how many sins are too many? But if I'm dependent on Christ, he already paid my sin debt and he lives to intercede for me. I am saved because of him. He's able to secure our salvation. Number three, he's able to succor us in time of temptation. How many of you have used the word succor this last week? No, we don't use it all the time. We'll give you a definition in a moment that I think will help you. Uh, look, if you would, then, at Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Hebrews 2, 14. He's able. We've seen his compassion. He died for us. His conquest. He raised from the dead. His capability is because he's living. What's he able to do? Save us to the uttermost. Secure our salvation. Hebrews 2, 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of the death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Uh, for verily he took on him, not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him uh, the seed of Abraham, look verse 17, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that in, he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself hath suffered being tempted. Verse 18. He is able to what? Succor them that are tempted. If you look in the Old Testament, that word is used. David was in a battle one day, and one of his mighty men came and succored him. It means to run to the assistance of. To run in to assist. If, if, um, if you are under a car, and you see you're under there, and the jack is starting to falter, and you can't get out in time, you said, somebody help! And someone had the ability to come over and slide another jack under that car, a floor jack, and get that thing up before you're crushed. And they come running with that jack and slide it under, crank that thing up before you're crushed to death. They succored you. They ran to your help in a moment of need. Now listen, I believe this is where for many of us this message starts to preach very practically this morning. Many times we face temptation and because we still really want to yield to it, we don't take a hold of the resource we have to overcome it. There's got to come a point where we say, you know what, I want to please you because you died for me and I want you to help me in my hour of temptation. How many times have we faced temptation and faltered because we never even asked for help? You have not because you ask not. I've seen in pastoring and parenting and in my own personal experience over the years, it's amazing the pattern you see of defeated believers, people who they're saved but they're continually yielding to some sin. And you can say, are you answering your temptation with Scripture? Nine times out of the ten, the answer is this, not like I should, which means no. <laughs> are, you, are you answering the temptation with prayer? Not like I should, which means no. Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into... You know what I have found? I've found this through failure and victory. When I don't call out to the Lord and say, Lord, help me. I'm facing a temptation and it's going to overcome me if you don't step in. When I do that, he steps in. 
He'll lead me to Scripture. He'll give me a person. He'll do something, but he'll step in. What I found is when I don't look to him to succor me, I don't get the help. He's ready. But he said, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Let me give you some encouraging news this morning. Because Christ is living, if he's living in you, you don't have to be a slave to sin. Yeah, no, you've been set free. Christ lives to succor you. That word means this literally, to run to or run to support. Hence, to help or relieve when in difficulty, want or distress, to assist and deliver from suffering, as to succor a besieged city or prisoners. So the idea would be to run to, to support, or to help or, uh, to, or to relieve when in difficulty. How many times when facing a temptation, whether it's a temptation to sin, to commit a sin, or a temptation to quit doing right, do we not cry out to our Savior who's living? He is, in that he was tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Christ knows there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. No one has a unique monopoly on a certain sin or temptation. I don't care how horrendous it is. But I'll say this, he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without. May I say this, just to be clear. Then for the person who's truly born again, to continually live in sin is a choice. Because we've been given the door of deliverance. What is the door of deliverance? He said, I am the door. Correct? If you have Christ in you, then you have his power to overcome temptation. That's Bible. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not the best at reading faces. But when one says something like this, people think, ah, I don't know about that. It's because we're wrestling between what to believe. My rationale and my experience or his word. He said he's able to succor. What we think is, but I tried that. No, his word doesn't fail. What happens is because Satan wants to keep us defeated, he'll tell us that's not true. You can't get deliverance. He's a liar and the father of it. Because he lives, I can overcome temptation. I don't have any more encouraging message to have. Listen, we live in a world. I told my wife the other day, I said, boy, there are certain thoughts that fire through my mind. I think, why? Well, I'm corrupt enough on my own. I can produce corrupt thoughts on my own. But you can't drive down the highway without seeing vile things on people's bumper stickers and I mean, it is everywhere, friend. Someone say, you can't live right in a world like this. Friend, you can. Our Savior came into a dark, wicked world and never sinned. And he knows how to give us victory over sin. I'm not preaching sinless perfection. I'm preaching victory through a living Savior. Because he lives, he can succor me. Psalm 46, verse 1, before we move on. Psalm 46, verse 1. That's why so many God's people have given up on holy living. They've believed the lie of their reasoning and emotions and, and rationale and experience over the truth of God's word. He that is dead is freed from sin. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That's what makes that, Psalm 46, 1. You know what makes that promise applicable to you and me? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. He lives, and if you're saved this morning, he lives inside of you and is able to succor you in your hour of temptation. Thirdly, or fourthly, I mean, he is able to save. He is able to secure our salvation. He's able to succor us in temptation. He is able to strengthen us. This is not only for the purpose of temptation, but for service. How many of you know that we are commanded not to be weary in well-doing? It says, and be not weary in well-doing. Well, I'd like to tell you I've never gotten weary in well-doing, but I have. 
You know what? How many of us, when we've done something we shouldn't, are just comforted to find some excuse as to why it was okay? Am I alone? Listen, well, I got weary and well doing, but that's because I'm really a fervent servant of God. You know what I'm finding? That's because I really wasn't doing it by faith. Because he's able to strengthen. God, how much strength does, does Jesus Christ have? So much that death couldn't hold him. So when I'm facing some difficulty, he has strength for me to continue doing what is right in the face of difficulty. Ephesians chapter 3, we were there, I mentioned it earlier, but I'm going to read verse 16 and verse 20. He's able to strengthen us. Ephesians 3. And then we'll couple verse 16 with verse 20. He said that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. Verse 19, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able. What's he able to do? Exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. I think so many of us have just failed to reckon what was given us the day God saved us. I'm not preaching, oh, you have all the, what you need for rich. I'm talking about for spiritual success. We are complete in Him. If you are born again this morning, the Spirit of God dwells in you, and He will grant you the strength of Jesus Christ to serve God faithfully till the Lord returns. I'll be honest with you. I look at men who are persecuted, and I think, I don't have strength for that. I don't think I would have strength to say, you, you either quit preaching or you're going to go to the stake and we're going to burn you. That would be really easy. Oh, praise the Lord. I look forward to the opportunity. Not I. <laughs> so I don't think I have the strength. I think at that point I say, well, I think I'm afraid in my flesh I would come up with reasons why it would be okay to compromise and why God would, would be okay with that. So where do you get the strength? You only get that from the Lord. And I believe when you face it and you look to him for it, he grants it. How does a person like the Apostle Paul finish his course? Would you, after beatings and shipwrecks and stonings and imprisonments, would you continue to do something if that was the result of your activity? Anybody with half a brain would stop. But someone with a full heart of the Lord continues because it's right. Where do Christians today in a world that sucks our spiritual strength out of us, friend, where do you get it? He never runs dry. That's what he meant when he said, if you have his spirit and you have a river of living water, in his, his source of strength, it's amazing to me how depleted in physical, mental strength I can be. And I never cease to be amazed at the miracle that takes place in prayer. That you can go with God in prayer and fumble over your words and say, God, I don't even know what to say. I'm so tired, I can't think straight. But I'm asking you for help and to watch the miracle of God change your entire disposition. And all you can say is, God did that for me. Friend, that's who, He lives today. You know what the world needs to see? The gospel is true and they need to see it by His life in us. Not by yielding to temptation, but by conquering it. Not by hanging up the towel and serving God less and doing less for the Lord, but relying on His strength and just doing what He tells us. And if they can see that, not all will get saved, but some will. Uh, the Lord is living. He's, because He's living, He's able to save our souls, secure our salvation, succor us in temptation, strengthen us in fulfillment of His will. John 15, verse 5, Without me ye can do 
nothing, but God saw fit to put another verse in there. Philippians 4.13. I can do, what's the next two words? All things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Finally, he's not only able to save us and secure us and succor us and strengthen us, but supply to us what we need that we might serve him. Someone says, well, I think the Lord wants me to be a witness, but I, this is not my personality. That has nothing to do with it. You hear preachers say this and people think we lie. I am, not, I am by nature, and some of you could testify this, you know me well, if I'm more introverted than extroverted. So I don't believe a preacher. It's true. It's true. I don't go around looking for multiple conversations. I, I, I love to talk to people and that kind of thing, but I'm not, I'm not, let's just go out. My grandma used to like, she'd see fruit hanging on a tree. She liked to walk up to a door, knock on the door and say, are you going to keep your fruit? Because if not, may I please pick it? Don't take me to the door. I want nothing to do with that. That's their fruit. If they want to let it rot, let them. We're not going to disturb their day. That's me. So to go knock on someone's door and say, did you know that if you don't put your trust in Christ, you're going to perish, is really not me. Now, today I'm more comfortable doing what I'm doing right now than probably ever been because I've been doing it for a few years. But I started preaching, it's not me. Here's what I'm trying to say to you this morning. Same thing with you. Some of you say, I'm able to do some things today that God wants me to do, but it's not in my personality. It's in God enabling. What God commands, God enables. Someone say today, I cannot give to missions. Anybody can that decides they're going to. If you're saved. So you don't understand my economy. No, but we understand God's. And in the context of giving, look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I love this verse. It's become a favorite of mine over this last year. You say, you've got a lot of favorite verses. I do. They're wonderful truths. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. He says in verse 6, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Now that's not in a dollar amount. That is in little or lot. It's in generosity or in shrewdness. Verse 7, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. Here it is, verse 8, And God is able. All right, here's that phrase again. What's he able to do? God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. James 4, 17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. What's the number one reason we don't do good things? What are the two words we use? We know they're good. God's word has ordered it. Whether it be giving financially or whether it be giving our testimony or whether it be giving out a track or whether giving someone our time to encourage a believer who's discouraged or giving ourselves to prayer, the context is giving. And giving is not always with dollar signs. It's in so many other ways. I said a few weeks ago, giving money is the cheapest thing we can do. It's the easiest form of giving. It costs us the least. It's giving ourselves that costs the greatest. What's our number one reason for not engaging in something God's commanded us to do? A good work. I, what's the next word? Can't. How many have ever seen a three-year-old? I've had multiple three-year-olds. <laughs> say, go to your room and get your shoes. I can't. How many of us understand what just took place? They replaced the word can't for won't. Right? Now, we grow out of that, thankfully. We never do that with our Heavenly Father. Right? Now, sometimes a child's told to do something they really think they can't. One of my three-year-olds, very fearful in personality, 
And I told him one day, I plopped him up on a freezer. It's about that high. And he's already like this. I said, now jump to me. I can't. He's crying. I knew he could. And I knew I could catch him. And I don't care if he ever jumps off a freezer another day in his life. But he needs to learn to overcome fear to do what is right. Yes? And we sat there and we worked at that until he jumped. Last week, same child, one year older, on a dryer that high. Daddy! You know what he figured out? He can. God tells us to do something. Watch and pray. Give the gospel. Preach the gospel to every creature. Uh, tells us just, oh, I can't. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto how many good works? Every good work. If it's good, meaning if it's instructed by God in our life, he'll enable us to do it. But you know what we think? When he shows me I can, I will. When you believe it's his will and you will, he'll give you the ability to do it. The submission of the will comes first, then the enabling to do. God said, give and it shall be given. He didn't say, I'll give to you so you can give. He said, give and it shall be given unto you. Not so you get and get rich, but so you can give. You know, you know, who, you know who are givers? You know, who, you know who are sending missionaries around the world today? People who one day st- decided, I don't have anything to give. Well, actually, I do. i got a quarter. I'll give that. Next thing you know, they were giving $25. Next thing you know, they were giving $250. You put a dollar amount on it, but the point is they decided one day, I'm going to give. I don't have anything to give, but actually I do, and what little I have, I'll give. And God gave so they could keep giving. You might never guess it by looking at their lives, but they're givers because they just want to be part of God's work. And we use the finance to illustrate, you know when you'll get the ability to pray? When you start praying. You know when you'll get the ability to witness to somebody? When you start witnessing. You get the ability to be faithful to church when you start doing it. When you say, you know what, I'm going to do what God wants me to do, whatever it may be. When you, you get the ability to love your mate, when you start doing what you can, because God said, and God will give you grace. I have a very unlovable mate. God will give you grace to abound unto every good work, whatever it may be. We can apply that. It's, it's, it, God is broad because he wants us to know it applies to every facet of our Christian life. Say, so what does this have to do with the resurrection? Everything. Our sufficiency to serve God. We all understand our ability to stay out of hell is Jesus Christ. Friend, our ability to prepare for heaven and live the way He wants us to is based on Jesus Christ. His sufficiency. Colton and I had a little exercise this week. And many had good questions for me. He's in high school. He's, he had to interview his pastor. He had a hard time getting an interview. He was, hey, Dad, can I ask you some questions? You bet. <laughs> so anyway, I asked some questions. He said, what is your favorite subject to preach on? Ooh. That's a hard one. The Bible. But in all honesty, I I do think what I'm preaching this morning, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. He is sufficient to save your soul, but he is equally sufficient to enable you to do what is right. To take a stand in the workplace, to separate from sin. If it's a good work, the life of Jesus Christ is readily available to you by faith. Let's see these few verses in closing. Look at Romans chapter 8 now. We are so familiar with verse 28 as we should be. But there's more to it. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
Moreover, whom he did predestinate, then he also called. And whom he called, then he also justified. And whom he justified, then he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Look at verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. That's his death. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That's his life. He died for us. God the Father delivered him up for us. How how shall God not also by that same Savior give us all things that we need? That's why Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And then finally, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. You know how many saved people give up on a godly, holy, separated life because they tried it in their power and it didn't work? You know what? You don't try it in Christ's power. You accomplish it in Christ's power. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith. You know what makes our faith precious? It's who it is in. Like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's what we're getting this morning. Verse 3. According as His divine power hath given unto us, one of the next two words, all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Whereby, verse 4, are given us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. This morning, because he lives, you know what? He can save me. He can secure me. He can succor me, He can strengthen me, and supply to me all things that I need to live a godly life of virtue and honor, to His honor and to His glory. One of the, I believe this will do one of two things this morning. One of three things, I suppose. Number one, if you've not yet come to personal faith in Jesus Christ, it ought to show you that you should. You need Him to save you and put your trust in Him. He'll save you, He'll secure you. And then that is the beginning of a life of dependence on Him. That's what Christianity is. A life of dependence on Jesus Christ to direct me, to enable me, and to ultimately get me to heaven. But this morning, you may be here and it may have this effect. You may say, I'm so encouraged. I've been struggling. I want to do what's right. I'm trying to do what's right. So the unsaved, I pray God is showing you you're a sinner in need of God's forgiveness. Christ died for you. He lives to save you. The saved this morning, you may be struggling, saying, I'm trying to live a life of godliness, but I've just struggled. Christ lives to enable you. There's a third response that is possible. You could be here and living a life of disobedience, though you're saved, and your excuse has been, I can't. The message would serve to say that's not true. I can do all things through Christ. It has to be by faith, though. We simply live by faith. You know what? He is alive this morning. There are times the Lord has allowed me to get in situations where I think, uh, I am not where I would like to be at this moment. I don't know how I'm going to perform what I'm supposed to do. And I'm left with one option. Lord, help. What a horrid place to be. What a wonderful place to be. In our weakness, His strength is made perfect. This morning, I don't know where you're at. You may be here and say, you know what? I've heard all about Jesus. I've generally believed it's true. But I've never come to the place where I was so personally convinced it's true that I actually called on Him to save me. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Meaning you're indicating I trust you. I, I believe you are alive enough to hear my call. And I'm, I'm asking you to save me. Do you realize salvation is that simple? 
your faith in him enough that you're willing to communicate it with your mouth because you believe it with your heart. Number two, this morning maybe you're here and say, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm failing. You may be here this morning. There's a fourth response. Say, you know what? I praise God for this. I rejoice in it. I've seen the truths of this come true, and I'm just encouraged. Whatever God is speaking to you about, however this message is applied, it's truth. Because he lives, he is able to save. He is able to secure. He is able to succor. He is able to strengthen. He is able to supply. What do I do? Depend on him.